going to ask Jason Bordeaux to come up here right now. Come on, give him a hand as he comes to bring the word today. Good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing? Awesome. It's really good to see everybody here. Uh, thank you, Pastor Allen, for giving me this opportunity. Uh, I always love to preach the word. I love teaching. Teaching is my passion. I'm one of the, the, the teachers of the growth track. So if you're a part of that and you enjoy today, then you can come be a part of that. If you don't enjoy today, then every other week you can just hear Pastor Allen teach. So that's, that's good for you there. So uh, I wanted to talk about something today that this is something that I struggle with personally a lot. I think everybody has somewhat of a struggle in this area. We're going to talk about endurance. We're going to talk about endurance. Is anybody in here a gym rat or love working out, exercise, anything to that effect? we got a couple people in here. I guarantee you there's people online right now on a weight bench listening to this because they're that dedicated to getting their spiritual workout and their physical workout. But one of the things about a workout, if you've ever done so, you know, you work out, you get this, this good workout going, and you feel great, and then the next day what happens? Yeah, a lot of times the second day could be worse than the day after. And so this happens a lot of times with our, our physical bodies. I remember one time in high school, uh, I took weightlifting in my freshman year, and I loved it. I just, I really thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. And then my, my sophomore year, the very first day, uh, we do this thing where you max out. It's, you see the max extent of what you can do, the highest you can go. So what does this nice sophomore do? I'm on the squat rack, and Lord have mercy, that is the worst workout ever. But I'm on the squat rack, and I'm thinking, I'm going to nail this thing today. I'm going to set my max on high, like the praise of the Lord. And so I do everything that I can, and I'm like, yes, I nailed it. Next period, I go to pre-calculus. I'm sitting there an hour and a half. And then at the end, when the bell rang, no lie to you, I stand up and I immediately collapse. My legs give out. I'm so embarrassed. I have to pull myself up into the desk, and I'm thinking, how am I going to get to my next class? So i got to walk on my knees locked like this, and I'm holding on to a rail. So embarrassing. And uh, that's something I really didn't want to go through again. But I did know that in order for me to get stronger, I would have to deal with a soreness of some sort. Those are the trials that you go through when you work out in the physical realm. Well, our spiritual realm can be the same. It can be very similar to that. We go through trials and tribulations, and it tests our spiritual growth and, uh, and our strength. And we have to deal with those uh, moments and go through those. So if you're alive and you're breathing today, if you have breath in your lungs then you are going to go through trials. It's a given. It's going to happen. I don't know if I would consider it a promise from Jesus, but it was a guarantee that he gave us. You will go through trials and tribulations, but I have overcome the world. But everything that we go through can be a step in the direction that takes us closer to our God-given purpose and into the person God has called us to be. And that's what I want to look at today. And um, we see in Romans 5.3, I uh, had this up on the board. So it says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. I don't know how many people rejoice when you run into a flat tire on the highway or things like that. Uh, when your kids are screaming in the back seat and you're trying to get to church on Sunday morning and you can't quite reach around to get them to be quiet, you know. Those are the trials that sometimes it can be difficult. But uh, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. 
and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. So one of the major questions is how are we able to have that endurance? What, what helps us with endurance and achieving that endurance? And, uh, and one of the key things that, that we face today that we can do is prayer. Uh, in Colossians 1.11, it says we also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy. So that's one of our key things. I just want to start us off. If you don't, if you don't get anything else today, know that the key thing that we can do today to get through our troubles, our trials, is prayer. But I want to look at a couple of historical accounts, look at three, to see what they encountered on their journey to fulfilling their purpose. Because I know that God has given every single body in here and online a purpose in your life. You may not feel like that. It may not seem like it, but everybody in here has a purpose. And I wouldn't say that any one person's purpose is lesser than another person's purpose. So you have a purpose in your life. So we're going to start off by looking at Joseph in the Old Testament. And this is a story that I absolutely love. Uh, it's interesting because as I was first reading it, I really didn't see a whole lot of flaws in Joseph. I just thought he was a really great guy. But then I, I realized that, you know, when he had that shiny coat that he dad, his dad gave him and he kind of flaunted it around. And um, that, then whenever he was about uh, 17 years old, God prophesied to him that he would actually be a ruler over his family. And he would be given this position of authority in his life. But, uh, you know, so he told his family that. And they were offended by it. You know, even his father was kind of offended by it. So Joseph has this promise that God has given him. He's told him this is going to happen in your life. And he was 17 years old. And on that journey, if you've read the story, you know how Joseph's life is. And if you haven't, I'll give you a very quick rundown. So he goes from being the favorite son. Is anybody in here a favorite son? Yeah, a couple of people. So we have a couple of favorite sons in here. Uh, just don't rock your nice shiny coat in front of your siblings or they might sell you into slavery because that's what happens next. He gets sold into slavery by his siblings. And then in that process, next he becomes Potiphar, uh, who was a very important person in that culture, becomes his right-hand man. But then he has an incident where somebody says that he's doing something inappropriate or tried to, and he gets thrown into prison. And if you read the story of Joseph, it's like, you know, one step forward, two steps back sometimes. And, uh, you know, I really felt bad for the guy because he kept just hitting this wall, even though he kept his dedication to the Lord. And uh, so he's in prison, and he, he uh, interprets some dreams correctly. And he says, you know, hey, make sure you don't forget about me while I'm in here when you go on your way. And then he's forgotten. They immediately forget about him. So he sits in prison. But then he interprets another dream, and he ends up becoming Pharaoh's right-hand person. And so he was essentially in charge of all of Egypt. And so he steps into that, and uh, the interesting thing is Joseph didn't go straight to his life's purpose, his calling. He had all these trials that he had to go through. And, I mean, these are trials that came from his family, first off. And I know sometimes, you know, we have issues in our families where we just feel like, this shouldn't come from my own household, but it does happen sometimes. And I'm sure people in here have had that struggle before. So side note that I thought was interesting, and, and this is almost a thread, is uh, Joseph was about 30 years old whenever he became the right-hand man to Pharaoh. 
So 30 years old, got that prophecy at 17, so a good 13 years he had to wait. So it didn't seem like an, an extremely long amount of time, but he had to go through a lot to get there. So David, we turn to David in uh, 1 Samuel 16, and we read this story, and I think, you know, David's one of the more popular people in the Old Testament. You know, you got Moses, Abraham. David's right there among that level. So a lot of you are probably familiar with that, but if not, again, try to give you a quick rundown. So David was about 8 to 15 years old when he was anointed king. When, when Samuel came to his household and his own father was like, here's all my sons, all of them. He lines them up, and you know, Samuel goes, and he's like, no, that's, that's not him. That's not him, and they thought it was for sure going to be one of these people. And God tells Samuel, this, neither one of these is going to be the next king. Do you have any other sons? And he's like, oh, yeah, I actually do have one. I mean, can you imagine? I know David wasn't in the house whenever his father said that, but I can imagine going back and hearing the story how, how tragic that would be, that it was almost forgotten about by his own father. So anyway, he gets anointed as king at this really young age. And then... He goes through a lot. If you've ever read that story, you know, he has a, a long journey of a life. But the interesting thing is whenever he was anointed king, you know, I'm thinking to myself if, if I was told that I was going to be king, right, from being a shepherd boy, that I'm going to drop whatever shepherd boys had, you know, their, their staff and their rod, and I would go and find me a crown somewhere. I'd find me a, a nice big old staff or whatever they had at that time. And go find me a crown, go, you know, a, a throne, go sit down and reign as king. Because that's a big thing to be told when you're so young. And what does he do? He goes right back out to the field. Right back out. And he's a shepherd boy again. And I'm thinking, that's got to be like a tough thing. Because like, I can imagine me and myself. Uh, you know, I felt like God gave me the call to, to preach, to share the word. And, in, and immediately I was thinking at like 23 years old, okay, now i got to go plant a church. And anybody who's planted a church knows that that's not the right move to do. And, uh, and I was like, okay, well, I'll just pastor a church. And I don't know a whole lot of 23-year-olds who have enough life experience to pastor a church of people. So I'm thinking, Lord, was I, was, did I hear you wrong? Was I incorrect in this? And I struggled with that for so long. And I can imagine David had this same issue where he was thinking, Lord, I don't understand. You know, he, he ends up going to battle, and he finally conquers uh, Goliath. But even in doing that, the king tries to give him his, you know, his, uh, his battle armor, and it doesn't work for him. And so there's got to be like another letdown. But he conquers Goliath, and then later on, Saul actually tries to kill him. So he's going through that. You know, he's anointed as king, and the king's trying to kill him to prevent him from becoming king. So David has this whole journey into becoming king. And then when he finally becomes the king of Israel, everything's great and dandy. Actually, it's not, because he goes through a lot more troubles. And even later in his life, his own son was trying to take over his throne while he was still king, which is another crazy story if you read that. And uh, so David had this long journey, and I just imagine that, you know, as he's trying to get to where God has called him to be, that, that purpose that he felt like God had on his life, he went through all of these things. And, uh, and another interesting thing is when David was about 30 years old, that's whenever his 
purpose came in. So if anybody in here is around 30, keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. If you feel like you're about 30, that counts too. You might not be 30, but if you feel 30, that counts. Keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes and see what the Lord is getting ready to do. I'm not going to prophesy and say everybody in here is going to have something at 30, but, you know, if it's yours, grab it, own it, take a hold of it. So the third person I want to mention, and this is the most popular person in all of Scripture, is Jesus. So we all know that he had his trials. Uh, When Jesus, he was prophesied to be the king of kings throughout all of the Old Testament. So he had his prophecy laid out before him, before he was even born, before anybody knew that he would even exist. And so he had all this Old Testament. And then in Matthew 2, we can look there at Matthew 2, 5 through 6. So if you read that, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. So a newborn baby is being prophesied as this king. And he wasn't king yet. I mean, nobody saw him as a king. And so naturally we know that whenever Jesus steps into his role at around the age of, can anybody guess? 30 years old, so there you go if you're 30, Paula. Um, I'm 32, so I'm close to it. I'm close to it. So, but we know that whenever he became 30, that, and we know this because that was the average age where rabbis would start their ministry, their public ministry. So that's how we get the age of 30. But, so Jesus actually said in Luke 4 that his purpose, he said uh, in Luke 4, 43, he says, but he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. So he was sent to proclaim the kingdom of God and to show people what it looked like. That's why Jesus came amongst the other reasons to obviously to suffer, to die, to be resurrected. But this is what Jesus said. So in most of the trials that he went through from some of the people you would think would have had his back were actually the Pharisees, there were other religious teachers. These are people that studied the Old Testament law. And they're the main people that attacked him and came at him during his ministry of preaching. And so he continued to face these obstacles until he met his ultimate purpose, which was to be raised into uh, eternal glory after his resurrection and ascension. So these are three people in the Bible that we look at. And we see that God gave them a purpose different ages of life, and they had to go through this waiting period. And I don't think anybody likes that waiting period, unless you're at a doctor's office and you don't want to get uh, into there, and you kind of would rather be in the waiting room than be in there, Um, especially if maybe you hadn't done what you're supposed to do, and, you know, they're going to come at you with test results, and that's a whole fiasco. But usually we don't enjoy the waiting room. And so, but there are some things that that are good for us in that waiting period while we're going through that from the time where we feel like this is what God's called me to do to to like get to that. And so one of the things, um, well, often things happen to us during our walk that we actually did not cause. And this can be tough because, you know, you're doing what you feel like God's called you to do. Something happens and you're like, Lord, I thought 
Like, this is what I was supposed to be doing. Like, I didn't mess up this time. This is something that somebody else did. So, what's up? Like, you're supposed to have my back. But we see in Romans 8, 28, that God works all those things together. And when we look at the life of Joseph in Genesis uh, 50, 20, he actually tells his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. And so we look at these situations in our life, and we understand that God can work everything together. A lot of times, God's already got the end in mind as we're going through these things. Now, another is uh, when those things happen, it's the Holy Spirit that helps us push through that trial. And we talked about it earlier in Colossians 1.11. It says, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power, so that you have all the endurance and patience you need, may you be filled with joy. Another thing to keep in mind is that trials are just part of the race. Now, I've never done a marathon because I'm just, you know, I don't have time to do marathons. Um, I don't have the ability to do marathons, I, I don't feel like. But, you know, I always tell myself, like, this year I want to run a 5K. I want to do the, the Thanksgiving trot or turkey trot or whatever it's called. And I think I'm going to do it. And then, you know, that first time I get on that treadmill and I jog for like an hour at uh, two miles an hour, and I'm jogging as hard as I can, and I'm like, I just don't know if this is going to happen. But, uh, but, you know, even when you're going through a race, like you encounter things during that race that are tough to get through. You know, you got that first moment where you're starting to breathe heavy. You got that dying of thirst moment. And if you're going through a marathon, you got that. Somebody's got to come pump your heart back up so you can keep on going moment. And so there's, there's these trials that come in a race and, um, and one of my favorite verses is in Acts 20, 24. And I say that because Paul considered his life like a race. He said, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And he actually says in another translation, until I finish the race. It's like God's given us a finish line. He's given us a position on what I would call like a team. Like, you know, the church is like this, this football team, and we all have this role that we have to play, and we have our own race that we have to run. But in every race, there are trials. There's all kind of trials.